This episode of The Good Pop Culture Club is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage, from setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to And you're listening to Good Pop, the podcast about all the good pop culture that gets us through our days. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me once again, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Ju. What up, Jess? It, it's January 5th, and I'm already tired, Marvin. <laughs> Woo! Happy New it's Year. Cause, it's because of Bean Dad. That's why you're tired. Oh, oh Bean Dad is like old news. We're talking about like ridiculous <laughs> Mahjong um, colonizers <laughs> now. Oh, it's man. almost too ridiculous to be mad at. So. I mean... I have nothing against someone who wants to make a pretty craft mahjong set, but that story was the whitest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I could not like actually write a whiter satirical like business. Like if I want to satirize white women, I couldn't even. I wouldn't even be smart or funny enough to make that all up. That's like a McSweeney story, right? It's it's a definitely like a Four Seasons landscape vibes kind of a thing. Like who? It's putting a hat on a hat. I mean, I can't believe in this day and age there's still people who are like so obliviously Columbusing Asian culture. Like, well, what's your what's your favorite part of the whole thing? Is it just like the the blatant like? I mean, there, there's like the, the 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 price is one thing. The bad design is another. It's just like ugly and like hard to like know what's going on it's is it the honestly, haikus is it the kimonos <laughs> at the party it's all of the above like a kimonos like mahjong is a chinese game i want to say like i'm pretty sure mahjong is a chinese game so it's already like it's already in bad taste and it's just the whole the taste of like oh this is something that i discovered on like a trip or through cultural exchange whatever but i think i can do it better i'm gonna make it better i'm gonna make it i'm gonna make it nice and classy now uh, because it wasn't before and oh i told what was very entertaining i explained this whole thing to my mom i showed her to the set and she was just so like displeased (laughs) um but in that like that asian mom way but it's really fun when it's not directed at you i mean we were talking about this offline but does anyone actually buy a mahjong set I just assume everyone just has one in their closet. Um, so after a certain age, if you are an Asian person, um, if you're a, if you're especially if you're like a Chinese lady, a, a well, you one night you go to sleep, and then the next morning you wake up and you've been visited by the auntie fairy, and then all of a sudden your <laughs> hair has been cut and permed. The fairy has replaced all your like cool clothes with puffy fluorescent vests, and then you have a mahjong table and a set full set of mahjong like in your kitchen now. And when the mahjong set's not on it, you like put snacks on it <laughs> with with like the plastic cover over it. Of course, oh. you can't like. Oh yeah, yeah. You, the integrity no of the mahjong table. Mm-hmm. But if it's gonna be there, it's gonna be a functional piece of furniture. You know. You know, I believe it. Mm-hmm. I believe that story. I'm very excited for that time. It's like it's it's a real milestone in a woman's life. <laughs> also joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. What's up, Han? Happy New Hi. Year. Hi. Happy New Year. Uh, I do not have a mahjong set. I don't think that's traditional in my family necessarily, but we do. Uh, I just remember them playing a lot of cards. Mm. I remember my grandma's place uh, back in Taiwan. Um, her old place, the the house that my mom grew up in before it got in the domain. I think it's a, it's a park now in Taipei. Um, she used to have a back room where she would play mahjong with all her fellow. Um, Asian, all her fellow grannies in the neighborhood, and now that now that I think back on it, I'm pretty sure my grandma ran a gambling den out of her house. 
Oh my god! Wait, is this the same grandma who is Jay Chow's grandma's landlord? No, no, no. That's so my that's my grandma. paternal grandmother. That's my Anya. Okay, I was like, was she playing? Like, was she hustling Jay Chow's no, grandma? No, she's too she's too high class. Like <laughs> my my grandma from my dad's side came from like a a family with like one of those estates in China, mm, like with mm. the four walls and the courtyard, the buildings in the with the courtyard. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she like mad mad at the communists, huh? Because the family <laughs> lost it all. It's a long story, but my grandma actually came to Taiwan before the whole civil war. She just couldn't go home. Oh man, sucks. To, so bad, <laughs> bad timing. Yeah. Huh. I, anyway. I'm waiting for the Queen's Gambit, but Mahjong. Oh man, that would be kind of cool, like a period drama um, lead female mahjong player. Do you remember after Crazy Rich Asians and everyone started playing mahjong for like a hot second? Like yeah. Did they actually start over? playing it? Or I think they just that... analyzed it. I don't remember people picking it up. Like I don't remember. Well, I got tons it. of invites the... to a mahjong party after. I after think that the movie. problem, the problem with like millennial mahjong playing is like you need to have three people you like enough to like come <laughs> over to play, which is like like that's that's like a str- it's like it's like okay you gotta be close, but also you can't invite everyone. So it's like this weird like in between space where it's not just like chilling with a bunch of people, but it's not just like hanging out with one person. So the coordination effort gets weird. Mm. Um, that that has always been the like d- determining factor for me. The yeah, that's true. It's hard enough to get like two people you like to come over to play these days. Exactly, exactly. And you can't play three sided mahjong. That's <laughs> that's weird. Oh, well, on this episode of Good Pop, we're talking about the new season of Cobra Kai, the, um, I guess, now Netflix series. That's the continuation of the Karate Kid saga. Um, We're going to talk all about this new season, especially some old faces that come back um, that has to do with Asian representation, which is our uh, area of expertise, um, as well as um, the cultural significance of the Karate Kid uh, for those of us who grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. But uh, before we get to Cobra Kai, let's find out what pop culture's beginnings through the week. Uh, let's start with Han. What's popping? All right. So taking a break from my fantasy and YA and romance novels, I am uh, listening to a new audiobook. Daisy Jones and the Six. Uh, it is a very popular, well, it was a bestseller when it was first published a couple years ago, three years ago. It's also on Reese Reese's uh, book club and it's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Now the deal is, I think as a read, it might be fun just in general because it's kind of like a documentary, written documentary style of like, how a band that came up in the 70s got together, but then also subsequently broke up. And so they talked to each of the members and various managers and uh, groupies and all that type of stuff. Um, But it's all fiction. The deal is, I say, maybe go for the audiobook instead, because unlike other audiobooks where one you know, reader is doing all the voices or even possibly two people, it is like fully cast, voice cast. And so every single person is different. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense since there are so many uh, points of view, you know, just like in a documentary. And so you need some of those voices differentiated. So you can, you know, even though they sometimes say their name right before, they'll be like Graham and then, you know, he'll say his thing. But um, so most... Most of the cast is just voice actors that, you know, you may not know. But there are some big name uh, people. Jennifer Beals of Flashdance fame um, is Daisy Jones of the title. And it's really great because, you know, she's supposed to be this like great singer and she has this sort of like husky, raspy voice. Um, So that's kind of fun to hear her, you know, talk about her point of view. Um, Who else is in there? Uh, Paulo Schreiber. He. He's an actor who you might know from um, Orange is the New Black. Um, Benjamin Bratt is a voice. Uh, oh, Judy, hey. Yeah, Judy <laughs> Greer is a voice. Um, there are a whole bunch of others I don't necessarily recognize. But I was wondering about this when I heard, heard the journalist Elaine Chang. And I was like, that has to be uh, Nancy Wu, who is the, <laughs> you know, of course, the go-to Asian voice. Uh, 
audiobook reader. And sure enough, that is her um, doing it. So, so far, it's really fun. It's not like terribly surprising. There's a lot of sex, drugs, rock and roll. Um, a lot of the guys, like Daisy Jones is, you know, of course, a singer, but the six is also a band. And so a lot of the guys are kind of mixed up for a little bit because they're all, you know, white guy names. So I did need the different, you know, voice casting and they eventually you can kind of figure out like who, what their personalities are and how they're different. Um, but yeah, so far so good. Not, not, not too bad for an exercise. Uh, listen, I've always been fascinated with um, celebrity read audiobooks, but I'm kind of baffled, maybe not baffled, just in awe of like how much budget this audiobook must have had to have actual name stars. Like how much money is this project going to make? I, <laughs> like, you know, I agree. And I think, honestly, if the book hadn't already been popular and then like, you know, with Queen Reese, you know, giving it her uh, seal of approval because I think she's also making it into a series for Amazon. Mm. Um, there's a lot of money already. <clears throat> you know, this book already made a lot of money. There's more money going into it. So this is not normal audiobook <laughs> treatment. Um, and honestly, I think there was only one way they could have done this, but it wouldn't have necessarily been voice cast with celebrities, but if they had to have had different voices because, um, there was just no way there's too many people talking, um, uh, that you wouldn't have been able to tell, even though maybe it would have been like a very, um, practiced voice actress who did maybe five voices, you know, and they might have split it up that way. But this time, definitely, like, you know, an audio drama would yeah. do. But yeah, this time it's one voice per uh, character. Wow. Sounds cool. So, what's popping with you, Jess? I have dusted off an old game, but it is uh, very... Uh, very appropriate. It, it feels appropriate to start like year two of quarantine with this. Um, it is Stardew Valley, <laughs> which is for those who are unfamiliar, it's like Animal Crossing on steroids and like seventy percent less cute. Like you have to kill things in this thing in this game, but it's a farming game. Uh, you're, th- it starts your you basically work a soulless office job and your grandpa dies and leaves you a farm. So you have to develop the farm. You fish. You do all these things. There's like an endless list of tasks. Uh, you can get married in this game. It's a scam. Don't do it. Your spouse does shit. Um, <laughs> he barely feeds like the animals, barely waters any of my crops. It was a scam. Or maybe because I chose to marry the writer. I don't mm. know. Oh, he's the worst. He's the worst, but he's he was like kind of hot. Like he had like the Fabio hair. I was mm. kind of into it. There's a tweet I need to send you after this. Oh my God. So uh, I, I started playing in like when I was still living in San Francisco, almost like five, six years ago. And this thing is the most dangerous time suck. Even worse than Animal Crossing because one day in the game is real time 15 minutes. <laughs> and you have a lot to do in a day. Um, and, 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 you know, the sun goes up and down and when it's dark, if you don't have like light around you or like special equipment, it's like actually dark. You can't see much of anything. So you just like, okay, one more day, like I'll do this. And then like, I literally sat, I picked it up again. I started playing. I sat back up and I was like, holy shit. It's three thirty AM. <laughs> what happened? Um, but it's fun. They've they had a recent new update. Yeah, it's one point five now. Now you can have yeah. like an island farm. Yeah, I I I still need to go through all the updates. I played it, so it actually started. This is kind of like famous narrative. It was like literally a independent game coded by one person. Like he just wrote the entire game by himself for fun, and it became this like smash hit. Yeah. Okay. Pretty uh- incredible. I'm excited because I got a few games for my birthday. I have not broken them out yet, but Stardew Valley was one that I had requested and received. So, yes, it's so fun. It's just really sad because my data is all on like the old Steam account, on my (laughs) Steam account. I can't like transfer it to like my Switch. So basically, I'm just like, I have to use my laptop to play. I have, so I just checked. I have 80 hours logged on Steam for Stardew Valley, and I have another 80 hours logged in my switch because i bought it on there beforehand i um, have 93 hours logged yeah. that's a lot marvin are you okay <laughs> i mean 
I didn't play it all at once. Well, well, I did when I did play it. But, I mean, Stardew Valley was made in the image of a classic SNES game, Harvest Moon, which is a game that I played the crap out of in college. And Got it. Like this whole like there's a whole series. It's the um the farm story series in Japan that's that was localized as Harvest Moon and now because of licensing it's now the um Story of Seasons franchise. Um but there's like almost there's like twenty something of these games that they have made over the last like thirty years. Um in like various forms. Don't um, tell me that. I'm already like on this the, way. So no. just on the Switch, there's a version of this game, but Doraemon. Stop! It's like I, it's. And this it's is cute why I don't hell. play. It's no, cute this is why I don't hell. play video games because I literally Stardew Valley was like maybe the first game I had played since like childhood when I was in college or right after college, and it like turned me into a junkie. Like I wouldn't shower, <laughs> I wouldn't sleep, I wouldn't do shit. My roommate would be like, "Hey, we're gonna go like eat," and I was like, "I need, I need fifteen more minutes, please. Fifth, fifth, I need to save because you can't save your process. The only way to save it is like you have to go, go to, to sleep, sleep yeah. which wastes a day. So like." Like you want to play out the end of the day, obviously, because you only have 28 days per season and you got to grow shit. So grandpa will come back at the end of season <laughs> year three and be proud of you. I'm, I'm so close. So I want grandpa to be proud of me. I'm in like fall of year three. So come winter, hopefully the spirit of my deceased grandfather in this game will like bless me. Or I actually don't know what happens. Don't tell me. Did you but decide is... to um, fix the community center or yes. sell out to the Amazon? No, no of course. Marvin, <laughs> I work nonprofit. I am definitely fixing the community center. My problem is I can't catch this one fucking fish. Oh. The fishing mechanism in this game <laughs> is really hard on a laptop, on a touchpad laptop. It's much harder than Animal Crossing, and there's like this one super fish I can never catch. <laughs> so I just have to accept that I will never finish the community center, and I have failed my grandfather. But that is okay. <laughs> so I would definitely check it out if you like these games, if you like Animal Crossing, if you liked Harvest Moon. They need to bring Gunbound back. That was my <laughs> thing in in elementary school. I would. I would highly yeah. recommend it. It the ROI. I don't know how much this game costs. It's been a while. It's pretty affordable. I, I think it's like the ROI is it's cheap now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could play hundreds of hours just, on this thing. You need to check out Story of Seasons Doraemon. No, it's not. I'm already. <laughs> this is like this is like I'm this is like I'm addicted to cocaine already, and you're like try some crack, <laughs> or I'm like oh here's heroin. Oh try some fentanyl, and then you would have killed me, Marvin. I'm dead. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but jokes on you. I'm already dead inside. But what are you watching, Marvin? Yeah, I'm also playing some new video games. I've had my eye on this game for a while and I finally pulled the trigger and I sank like I want to say 12 hours already over the weekend into this game. It's called Sakuna of Rice and Fortune. It's um similar to Stardew Valley, kind of like a farming sim hybrid game um it's part side-scrolling action game like metrovania style and half farming sim but you only make one crop and that is rice i love it already so oh basically <laughs> the story is you play as sakuna who is she's the daughter of a harvest goddess and a war god so she can do both so when she fights she fights with farming implements um, but she's like a haughty goddess who uh, messes up and gets exiled to an island where she has to like revitalize it and she gains power by growing better rice so as you grow rice and as you get better at growing rice you gain power from that rice god this is the most asian shit i've ever heard and i love it i am so yeah. into this i got like some nintendo money or whatever that's yeah, called so i'm gonna get this. this is there like a co-op version of this game where we can play together or we gotta go on the no, rice journey alone? but there is co-op Stardew valley if you want to play that i'm down to like there, share a there farm there is but i made my boyfriend start a farm with me but he is so low level because you keep your ability right as you like oh. farm and and chop wood your strength your like your strength your endurance grows so he just started the game like he so he's a brand new baby he can chop one tree and then he gotta take us go to sleep and i'm like i gotta go to the caves i gotta go fight the bats i gotta go collect fish for us i was like this is this is not what i signed for uh, for a uh, stardew valley relationship over <laughs> you are not pulling your weight yeah i mean so back to sakuna of rice and ruin <laughs> sorry, um sorry. Just one last thing before we, we take a break. Um, this game has actually uh, made me appreciate the process of 
growing rice because it takes you through all of these steps from sorting the rice grains to planting them to measuring the water in the patties to like harvesting and drying them all the way to threshing them like threshing all the rice grains out from the stalks and mashing them into white rice and from playing the game i have now become a rice expert I know how rice works now. What's the time Super. commitment like? Because I'm very tempted to start this, but I know I need to like budget an appropriate amount of time for my rice bender. <laughs> I want to say it's like a probably a 30 to 40 hour game total. Okay. Um, the progression goes pretty quickly. Um, the best part is every night you get to make dinner to give you power ups for the next day. And you make that through like, animals you hunt while you're going out exploring so you have like grilled pork with sushi mm. and mm. and soup okay, and white a, rice you, you got me i'm gonna go buy this game the food now looks but real delicious. yeah i'm gonna buy the game but i'm gonna also order food or make food <laughs> so while i watch it i can or play it i can i can eat because this is yeah. gonna get me hungry yeah it plays real well um the, the action's pretty good um and yeah Check it out. It's called Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. I think it's available on Steam. Uh, I think it's on PS4, and it's also on Switch. Farming Sims. It's how we Farming get through. Uh, it's how we get through quarantine. Yeah, Animal Crossing's not cutting it anymore. We need like the more intense, like <laughs> pun intended, the granular <laughs> games. Yeah. All right. Well, when we come back, we're talking all about Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid. Uh, stick around. We'll be right back. We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, our first Good Pop for a year of 2021. And to start us off for the new year, we're talking about Cobra Kai Season 3, which just came out on Netflix this past week. Cobra Kai, of course, is the... Um, it was originally on YouTube, right? It was a YouTube Red series? Yeah, yes. YouTube Red, which they renamed YouTube Premium because YouTube Red sounded like porn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe that was the strategy. It's the continuation of the Karate Kid saga, um, specifically the one starring Ralph Macchio as Daniel LaRusso and um, Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi. Uh, but this one's set 30, what, 35 years into the future, so it's contemporary with today, um, and centering around Johnny Lawrence, who was the bully from the original uh, movie, and him reopening the Cobra Kai dojo, which was the bad guy dojo from the original. Yeah, now it's in this third season. Um, I actually did not follow the series that closely, um, but I was able to watch a couple recaps of the first couple seasons. Jess Hano, are you? did you guys follow this series? I have a lot of people close to me who were very big fans of this, who I or, or, would, in theory would not be the target demographic. You know, <laughs> they're like Asian women. Um, and they were all very aware that they were like very standing hard. This show that is based off a arguably problematic piece of pop culture that now centers around a bunch of white dudes doing karate <laughs> or as they like to say karate in the valley. Um, so I I was very familiar with it. I literally started in binge this week. It's 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 so, OK. And I have no relationship to the original Karate Kid trilogy by the way i've never seen them at all <laughs> i mean that's a good starting point for this discussion is the source material of 
Cobra Kai, which is the Karate Kid. Um, the I don't even know when in the eighties it was out. I would assume like eighty, like what? Because the original movie takes place in nineteen eighty four. I know that because they mentioned that he's the All Valley Champ, nineteen eighty four, <laughs> like maybe fifty times in season one. Which I'm guys, I can't even tell you who the All Valley Champ from twenty seventeen was or twenty twenty was. But I'm just I'm one of the suspensions of belief is you have to believe. That everyone cares about the All Valley Champ in 1984. I mean, that was the thing about that film and about this series in general is you have to believe that karate is super important for any of the drama to like make sense. Um, but I mean, the Karate Kid as a film, I think you'll be hard pressed to find a piece of pop culture that has personally affected us as an Asian community as that film. Like, I don't think you can find many Asian guys who haven't been called Mr. Miyagi growing up uh, because of the cultural significance of this film. And, like, all props to Pat Morita for, like, making an iconic character. But it's like, I don't know. I watched The Karate Kid a couple years ago, and I don't know if that movie holds up. Well, as a person who was definitely... And and when we're talking about target audience, this was considered a four quadrant movie. So it was it doesn't matter gender, age or whatever. It was supposed to be it's a widely wild, widely appealing. Like, I don't know if I would say necessarily blockbuster, but if you look at the time period, it definitely helped launch a bunch of copycats, not only their own its own sequels, but. I watched so many bad 80s karate movies that were American <laughs> in that era, and I ate them up. And and then also kind of all the offshoots of those things, like, you know, the bad gang movies where people are, like, just rumbling in the streets and stuff. Like, it didn't matter what it was. There's one called Tough Turf where I think it was skateboarders <laughs> who, were, who were in gangs. I don't know. God, but, what a great time the 80s yeah, and early I mean, 90s were. It, it I remember really... as a kid, after watching this movie, I definitely wanted to sign up for karate class. Like, I think I went into, like, the San Gabriel community class catalog. It's like, is there karate in here? Can I learn karate yeah. now? I, I'd also say, like, I was already actually in martial arts by the time that this came out. And, you know, of course, I grew up watching martial arts films. So despite their them not really being comparable, I was still very clearly... Um, embracing of this you know product at the time because it was an underdog story and it had an asian guy in it and you know ralph macchio was considered kind of a cute you know sort of nerdy kid i think um, when i was a kid time. i was convinced he was part asian i think i it's mean one of those, maybe like... he had dark hair he was skinny like kind of like we maybe adopted him a little bit um i know he was also in the outsiders and a few other movies so it's kind of like he that was a he was a big ass deal in the 80s he was in like tiger beat and all those you know (laughs) places so yeah i was all about it um it doesn't necessarily hold up because a lot of 80s like uh films like that don't quite hold up especially the really bad fighting scenes um and the very thin plots but you know what it doesn't seem to matter when it comes to the series because the series seems to be very similarly. But anyway, I'm getting ahead yeah. of myself. I mean, the series itself, I was surprised at how sitcom it was. Like, the original movie wasn't a full-on comedy, but Cobra Kai is definitely a TV comedy. You can see, like, the style, yeah, that style of writing. I think it's, it's dramedy. I mean, it's that Netflix thing where they don't have, they're not, you know pertain to those like strict verticals or like formats because it's not on broadcast and I mean it started off as a streaming show too so they never really had to worry about that um so I I think the tone is pretty I actually think there's the thing like I actually think like the idea and the development the concept of the show is like actually very good um for a for what it I mean, a, in theory, a, a spin-off series about characters from the 80s, 35 years later, what, you know, shouldn't really work. Um, but they did do some really interesting things about grounding it in relationships. But that being said, like, let's not kid ourselves. Cobra Kai is not about karate. It's about white male, <laughs> like, midlife crisis and daddy issues. It's about daddy issues. 
that's actually why I think it started out me liking it because the the Johnny character, you know, when we see him again, he's like a loser. Mm-hmm. He um he's a bully who became a loser and on the flip side, Daniel San has become like the the mega, you know, uh king of the valley when it comes to selling cars. But, and but also kind of like a joke on himself. He's, he's right? kind of cheesy, right? Yeah, he, like yeah. Th- there's definitely he's when also he kind does of his... a dick too. I was he's kind not of a surprised dick too. because, yeah. like, I think it was genius to make him make his character that way. But yeah, like, well, they he's... they 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 do flip everything, so you actually get the loser Johnny, you know, trying to make amends for being such a bully, but then also kind of getting back into this millennia, um, (laughs) millennium. Uh, And so, yeah. And so when they finally meet up again, you know, Daniel is kind of a dick because he is now, you know, very successful and he won the All Valley (laughs) and all this type of stuff. So, yeah, they, they both have to come to... And I think, honestly, that the actor who plays Johnny, William Zapka, is actually really funny. Um, oh, he's hilarious, and and he actually it, without him, I don't know if this series would have been as strong. Um, and you know, when we're talking about a little bit about tone, we need to remember that this is a show that's made by three middle-aged white guy executive producers, creators, um, and I think a couple of them are from Harold and Kumar, and uh, one of them who joined them and did the uh, Hot Tub Time Machine movies. So that <laughs> so kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's what you can tell because the moments where it's about regret and, you know, like your regret and like daddy issues and family and what what do you do when like the prime of your life is over and legacy like those scenes all really hit. Mm-hmm. And I think it they're they're like those scenes are great. I mean, anytime you get Daniel and Johnny like talking to each other, not fighting, but just like talking to each other. I, I love those scenes. Mm-hmm. But I will say the window dressing is a little problematic. <laughs> I think it got worse in season three. Um, I mean, we can talk, Han, you can talk about the Vietnam of it all. Oh, yeah. I mean, we need to talk but, about the yeah. Vietnam scenes. We also need to talk about the Okinawa scenes. Too. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Both. it's just when they're trying to bring that, I mean, I don't doubt they tried to. I mean, and part of it, the reversion and the subversion of this show from Karate Kid, I think, was they wanted to kind of fix those mistakes, right? Or fix the, bring nuance to it. Yeah, and I think the show does a good job of, like, making a more realistic-looking San Fernando Valley as opposed to, like, the 80s movie, right? The cast is, especially the kids, are pretty multicultural. Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, here's my... Here's my deal. Like the first two seasons, I covered it from YouTube and every single review I did, which, you know, the two, two seasons, um, you know, I I acknowledged the show for what it is, which is kind of a cheesy guys, you know, getting back with each other and um, sort of manufactured ways to create fight scenes. Um, But each season I mentioned like the lack of actual Asian characters and um, and the lack of actual San Fernando Valley-ness. And I think my biggest issue is like, while you look at kind of the background and you see other, you know, uh, m- maybe a broader sea of colors, when you think about who the actual leads are, like the lead middle-aged kids, peop- um, guys, and then the lead kids, one is a person of color, and that is Miguel. And... Very glad he at least gets a lead, but everyone else who gets a significant sort of plot is white. So that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think and... I, I've had my fill of watching middle-aged white guys do karate over this yeah, past. Absolutely, weekend. and especially when them teaching karate. Like I get it. Like the '80s, that actually was America. You know, they did run the JoJo's and stuff like that. Like I fortunately had like. Asian, you know, instructors, but of course my mom wasn't going to bring me to any white guy, you know, dojo. So, um, but I, I feel like there, I mean, clearly, definitely it was like Karate Kid affected America, but then also it was also reflecting what America was like, which was, it was a lot of white run dojos. Now the difference is it is 30, 35 years later. So for them to be the ones still running the dojos and I'm just like, come on people. (laughs) And they also clearly don't know how to fight well. So. And, and and 
it's also like, homies, y'all have not done karate in 35 years. Like, yeah. you could ex- expect me to believe that you can just pick up and start running dojos again? Yeah. It's, it's, it's also very clearly, you can see that they can't fight, you know? Um, That's why I don't, I think the I, fighting is the least successful part of the show. Mm-hmm. And honestly, anytime it gets to karate or fighting, specifically when it has to drive plot point, my thing is like, why are we letting children run around San Fernando Valley committing assault? Yeah. These are, <laughs> these are wealthy children, you know, like he lives at that that Nancy Myers kitchen is like, this is not some school where like, they'd be like, that's fine. We don't care. Like there would have been PTA meetings. There would have been like calls. I mean, there would have been the karate, psychiatrists coming in. The karate, like West High story in this is simultaneously the most ridiculous part of the entire series and also like what it hangs on which but it, that's the thing that those are, those are not successful. What is successful is anytime they ground it in, like I thought some of the most touching scenes was every time Daniel had to reflect back on his relationship with Mr. Miyagi and what like like the the question of legacy, right? It's just a little unfortunate that like the legacy conversation has to be channeled through karate. Yeah. The the use of karate is just so ridiculous to me. It also makes me angry because you do not use karate just to like get back at other people that it they they like kinda say, Oh, it's about self defense, but then it's not the way they use it in no, the show. But then they go and keep oh. assaulting children the children it, keep it's ridiculous. Also like even given that none of these people do karate well, but they're supposed to do it semi-well, right? Supposedly. Like, no one learns it that fast. So that's the other thing. It's like, there's there's just so much out there that I'm just like, I get so angry about. Like, because I was like, I think it tarnishes martial arts <laughs> um, in so many ways. And I know realism is not something I need to be looking at the show through <laughs> but at the same time it does make me mad because I I was kind of hoping that Cobra Kai knew was very popular um, and I was kind of hoping that it would bring a sort of a renaissance of martial arts and maybe people who knows maybe it has and the next wave of shows or movies are going to like fix this issue that I've been seeing but at the same time so far it hasn't. I do I do really enjoy all the dunking on the San Fernando Valley though. Like I think there's like at least one Reseda joke per episode, <laughs> which I respect cuz Reseda sucks. Um so yeah. Except there's a vegan Vietnamese place I like in Reseda. <laughs> I ain't going to Reseda for Vietnamese. <laughs> well, I I I'm closer to Reseda than you are. Like, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> all right. We need to talk about the two episodes in Okinawa. And how like how uncomfortable were you watching those scenes? Because I was super uncomfortable very, the entire time. Very, it was like an orientalist fantasy. Um, honestly, okay, so I know you like the stuff with Pat Morita, and I I do too, like because Pat Morita is great, Mr. Miyagi. But I think the issue I've been having with the series versus let's say the movie is that they've kind of held him up to be this sort of like you know when you talk about like the magical Negro trope, I think they have created Mr. Miyagi or at least have evolved him to become sort of the magical Asian. And it feels like to me that when he goes to Okinawa, he's looking for that. And then so Tamlin Tamita's character and even chosen that character, um, Daniel LaRusso goes to Okinawa to, for his eat, pray, love moment to like find himself, right? He's there for like two days, guys. And then and then in those two days, he um, like reconnects with his cutie ass. Okay, like Tamlin's jumpsuit game in this episode, though. Oh my God. Like, fa- <laughs> she's such a, what a hottie. Like, let's let's get that out of the way. Tamlin's Tamla, to me, great. Though. The scenes where she's he's great. like creeping up on her were so yeah. like creepy (laughs) she's still cute like you go tamlin i mean it's not your fault they did not know how to like you know use you in the 80s or now i love Um, how she stayed single oh yeah we we i mean what a badass bitch right like having how dancing traveling the world but rocking a great jumpsuit but do you buy her explanation that's because no one can match up to daniel's son that was a i was like (laughs) You know, white guys wrote that. You know, yeah. I was just like, dude. But I also think in the context, it was obviously like a joke. Yeah. I hope it was a joke. I mean, right? it's, I think everything. That's the 
deal is everything in this show is jokes, even when they're trying to poke fun at serious things. I'm just like, mm, but it is actually serious. So you making fun of it doesn't necessarily work. Anyway, yes. Um, except there's something that I don't know if they meant it as a joke, but oh, I no. cringe. Do you remember oh, no, which one? When he, he meets the second Asian lady, it, it turns out to be like the girl he saved from the like monsoon or whatever. And a typhoon, the typhoon, typhoon. sorry, (laughs) sorry, the typhoon. Uh, And so get your bodily or get your water (laughs) weather incident. Okay, so he saved her from a typhoon in the movie and she was a child. So when he meets her now, what does he say? Your English is so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought so that. Yeah, right. Because because they, they do joke about like microaggressions and like very some there are some moments throughout the series where, uh, you know, Johnny's very Johnny and Daniel have these very microaggressive moments of like racism against Asian people. But then it's it is a joke. It's like to poke fun at them. And I was just but like, usually they should have they usually like play up the like the doofiness of yeah. the white guy more in that case. Yeah. So I have a feeling that I wonder if they actually even knew this one was a microaggression because the other times that they've joked about it, like Daniel, like trying to teach, you know, his daughter's Asian boyfriend about sushi you know that was completely a joke and then like oh they're like characters on the stone in your backyard and I don't think he even knows what it says like those are clearly set up as jokes but um at the same time this one I was like did they realize that that was not a cool thing but I just don't know how to feel about Daniel-san because like obviously he was the hero in the original series but now I look back and all I see is a guy who like today would be like just a total weeb, right? Oh, he's the original otaku weeaboo uh, weeb. Yes, yes. But I mean, he's the model. I mean, it's it's a time-honored tradition for white men to be obsessed with Japanese culture, Marvin. Um, you know, that's not new. Uh, it, but then it, he doesn't even do it well. That's the thing. No. It's like any every time he went arigato in yeah. Okinawa, I was yeah. cringing my ass. Any off. self-respecting otaku would know so much more than Daniel San does. And his, yeah, you're right. His pronunciation is awful. He doesn't know <laughs> anything about anything. He only knows things about like the very like he. Like, I think you pointed this out that he was basically a tourist again. It's not like he knew, you know, anything about like the real Japan or uh, Okinawa. So it's just uh... also can we can we talk about the timeline? Basically, he they were at the I don't know what time they're drinking at the bar, but then Chosen comes in, and I assume this all happens like one day. They go on a tour of Okinawa, like to this very natural mountainy place that it must at least take like 45 minutes to get there. Then they go to the dojo, and then they have time to train, and then he has to come back and get his flight, and that's like all in one day. And then in one day, Chosen's like, yes, take my family secret legacy. Scroll. I mean, scroll? it's a scroll. It's a scroll. <laughs> Wait, so are we to assume that Daniel knows how to read those scrolls? I mean, Google Translate, I guess. <laughs> I love how he just grabbed it. Like, he was owed this thing. It was ridiculous. Um, and, and you know, this is a series that is also, like, delving into, like, what... I mean, I think one of the through lines of this show is, like, how trauma affects you throughout your life, right? Whether it's bullying, abuse... Um, and how it's just how you overcome that and how that gets that's a legacy that's also a legacy you passed on for better or worse and I was like they, they've done that through redemption arc with um, Johnny they've done that redemption arc with you know Robbie they've done that arc with like all these white guy characters and you couldn't like throw chosen a little bit more like why yeah. was he like I mean when they cut the scene the flashback yeah like you know Grabbing Tamlin Tomita and threatening her at knife point, not a good look. But, like, why? <laughs> they don't even explore that. I was like, wait. And, as again, never seen Karate Kid. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, that escalated really quickly. Now everyone has a hand drum, and we're all, like, playing the ninja theme from the... Jess, yeah. you, you need to watch the Karate Kid Part 2 and yeah. tell us uh, what I you think about to? it. I mean, it's safe to say that that... I. Even as a kid, I did not like that movie because as cheesy as everything I was allowing things to be, um, that one confused me so much <laughs> because okay, can we, none okay, of it made I sense. I have seen the movie, don't know what his behavior actions was like, but like Chosen was pretty hot. 
Oh yeah, yeah, totally, he's totally. Hot. Yeah. Also, he just got to wear better things too. Like, yeah, that that yeah. yellow like gi mm-hmm. thing was was. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, th- those are that's. I guess those are one of, one of those things where I'm just like, there's no way he would fight a Japanese guy who actually knows martial arts and win. I was like, no, there's no way. But. You know, I get it. Ralph Macchio was the yeah, star but he's Daniel then. Son. He's, he's Daniel son. Hey. Um Also, how would you feel if this like white dude just came into your hometown where your like family friends are and just started acting like a dick? Yeah. And I'd like, be like, Yeah, let's go. Let's fight. Yeah. Like if if Karate Kid two went the way I would wanted it have done uh to have gone i think i would have wanted mr miyagi to win the contest um against chosen that would have made sense to me um but of course not yeah Yeah. (laughs) anyway so that's okinawa yeah so han i know you have stuff to say about the vietnam (laughs) storyline you don't have to i mean didn't we bring up the whole thing in our end of year wrap-up where i'm tired of Yes, Asian things, but also specifically Vietnam War narratives that are told by outsiders. Um, here, I had zero expectations, and they were still like disappointed <laughs> because it's, basically oh my God, this is so unnecessary to yeah, like add that whole part in. The whole thing was ridiculous. So basically, but you have to ca- justify why John Kreese is such an alpha male, well, like power hungry dude. Well, yeah. So basically, John Kreese, who is the sensei for bad, Johnny. He's the bad sensei. Is, the bad baddie. The big baddie. Yeah, he's bad sensei of Cobra Kai. Um, he created Cobra Kai. Um, and so we get his backstory. So back into the 70s, when first he's bullied himself. Oh, my God. And then he goes to Vietnam. And then that's where things get ridiculous. <laughs> It was. It, I was just watching. It was like they really are doing this, and it's again for a show that has started. I don't know if this. I mean, I think season one maybe because it was more contained and it was more focused and just to the valley. They weren't trying to bring these like bigger themes in. I thought they did a very good job of subverting a lot of expectations and like mm-hmm. things about like you know poking fun at the the you know the fact that. Ralph Macchio. I keep calling Ralph Macchio. I know that's not his character name, but he's Ralph Macchio. <laughs> sure. Uh, Daniel. How Daniel is basically like a like a middle aged joke who like thinks he's like a curator of Japanese culture, but like is giving bonsai trees. Like very aware. The jokes are very self aware. And I'm, like, I feel like they lost the plot somewhere yeah. because this also could have been a potentially subversive like. And like, if you're gonna go Vietnam War and like serving in Vietnam, that actually could have been a whole nother like trope or topic to subvert and reimagine and they did not no i mean number one like vietnam war is always like a sort of a contentious thing because a lot of people don't get it and I, i'm not even saying i 100 you know understand all the things that are you know at play but one thing that a lot of people who never think about this war just kind of out from the outside think is that it's americans versus vietnamese when it is actually americans coming to help defend the south vietnamese from the north because of the threat of communism and so i mean i even had like a cousin kind of get that confused so um so for me to again see basically the very binary like uh americans caught by horrible Vietnamese guys who also not even get the benefit of translation. Like my subtitles literally just said speaking Vietnamese every single time. Oh God. I heard it's also the wrong dialect of Vietnamese. Yeah, it was, it was Southern. Um, I did, I didn't know if like, let's say those who were in the military might've been like, I don't know if there are class things going on. So I didn't really want to call that out, but it definitely sounded more Southern dialect than Northern um, but clearly, like, these Vietnamese people were just props. Like, they had really, they there was no, there was nothing that gave them a story. They were literally there to create some weird, you know, cage match. Um, and, and to kill his best friend. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it was just giving him his moment. And then the most ridiculous thing is, like, I call it a cage match, but really it was like a plank over a pit of snakes <laughs> um, where the the Vietnam um, 
soldiers had to fight each other to the death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's we still do that, right? We still do that. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Han, you got your snake pit in the backyard, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And we also, yeah, and that's also where we get our like whiskey. There's a certain like snake whiskey I've had, but um, at the same time, I was like, did we really need to know the origins of the name Cobra Kai? from the snake pit like trauma that he had i was just like seriously um that's just like uh, now another now seems like another theme this show is presenting is like oh all white trauma comes from s- some asian person yeah if you go far back enough like you know what asians are very according to the show very influential <laughs> You well, can... we were. I mean, I think people forget because you know our collective memory is like a gold goldfish. Actually, that's rude. Goldfish have pretty good memories, but you know, like from nineteen forty to nineteen to whenever the Vietnam War ended, we were in some yeah. form of warfare or in war in an arena in Asia against Asian people. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it was a long time. That's a long chunk of time. Uh, the Asian the Asian question changed, but you know they can't tell the difference. Yeah. Um, so it's just like one one Asian blobby villain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't need to know John Cruise's backstory to I know didn't. that he's a dick. I also right? like again. I agree. Like, just because he has some sort of bad backstory does not excuse him does not humanize him, doesn't make it okay for him to also still be a dick because that's just saying, like, your dad who, who abused you, it was fine because, you know, like, he had his own trauma. No, 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 no. You got to break the cycle. And yes. so, like, I do not care. I do not care about John Kreese. I, I, I was actually very upset when he first showed up as a surprise at the end of, what is it, season one or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, oh, fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> so, And if you needed it, it could have been one flashback in one episode, not a season long thing. Um, I I just don't care for it at all. Like, okay, she's not important. Here's the question: If your life was defined by something that happened to you comp- when you entered a competition at 17, what would your life look like now? Well, seeing how my life was changed when I was in the spelling bee. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was the word, Han? What was the word again? I have so many words. Uh, it was actually. Well, it was Rosinante. One that was one spelling bee, and then I'm trying to think of what the other spelling bee it was because I, of course, had to do it two years in a row because I didn't ever make it to nationals. Oh no, <laughs> the but, tragedy! Yeah, go abuse some kids now. Yeah, I make mean, them spell until they bleed. <laughs> That's that's my only, and then I'm gonna have a rival spelling bee, uh, yeah, <laughs> gang, yeah, the one who won the spelling bee, right? The person who won. Yeah, goddamn. Just uh, and I would probably be what field show marching band. <laughs> oh no, I I quit that. It will probably be some weird drama thing, which I guess in some way, shape, and form that is still my life. So, <laughs> jokes on me. Uh, I was the DTAC semifinalist in <laughs> two thousand and seven. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing: this is in no way to like downplay trauma and like its effects, but I do believe that the show, the way it's made is taking certain things way too seriously for what their story is because they're taking like violence I think very cavalierly even though they kind of they pay lip service to things like they do eventually go before like the school board and then like the all valley whoever champ uh not champions (laughs) uh (laughs) officials who are deciding whether or not to put the tournament back on and you know there's sort of there's that lip service like it's kids hurting each other but they're like but and then they like argue it back into existence so it's kind of yeah i don't just like it but in season three like when when hawk like breaks his like old friend's arm i was like like that is like legit just assault like i mean he makes Mm -hmm. a conscious decision right to like torture him and then break his arm and i'm just like oh how how are you kids not all in jail right now right none of nothing is actually treated with any real you know seriousness like like Miguel, you know, had the very, very scary, you know, accident at the end of season two. And I was really all for them to really explore him being, you know, possibly disabled. Um, 
and just having a real real coming to Jesus moment with when it comes to like misusing martial arts. And, you know, they kind of, again, do a little rehab, do a little like special like 80s flavor. D. Snyder you know. cameo. Yeah, Snyder Rid- cured Miguel <laughs> ridiculousness, and then later at the end, he is fighting full full force. Like he has had the best PT courtesy of Johnny uh, <laughs> ever, and <laughs> yeah. So it it none of it makes sense. It is definitely glorifying violence, despite what they say, and it's also bad karate. <laughs> <laughs> but as someone who really like has the the musical taste of like a fifty. Two-year-old white male. I do really enjoy this. It's fun. There's, there's, it's great. I there's, love eighties rock. There's so much eightiesness that I think that they were trying to pay tribute to that I think really works. The unfortunate thing is, I think they still have the eighties mindset um, for plotting and you know that type of thing. And I think there's there's a way to pay tribute. Like I think the first season was the closest. Where, you know, they kind of wink at all the things that were not cool in the 80s that are, you know, that we have to call out now. But I feel like it's never really evolved its humor. No, no. And I think I think season one is arguably still the most successful because it was so much more focused and it was dealing mostly with Johnny and... Uh, Daniel as foils to one another. Yes. And that was very much in the Hurwitz, you know, the the, the creative team's wheelhouse. Yeah. And I think, though, maybe because they come from movies, that they don't actually know how to... This is also very much my point when it comes to people saying that tv shows are 10 hour movies no they are not they're not they you have to actually evolve your characters and so that's the difference is they don't seem to evolve their characters they just create more setbacks or they make them do a heel turn or a face turn just so they can reset the formula again and so it gets very frustrating to see these characters who you kind of like just being stupid over and over and over (laughs) again or introducing (laughs) crease so that way there's another other stupid person you know i'm just like guys just someone needs to call the cops here kids are just yeah just just bashing on each other going into the season i was definitely like i don't care about anyone let's see what they give me so i know Uh, but one thing that uh, i did enjoy was and i forgot that he was on the show but seeing joe sale just like chew joe sale is great it's weird if you know him from Spawn Night as this like dutiful, like shy, coming of age, like young gay man, and then you're Kyler, such a dick. <laughs> I I think it's such a missed opportunity because Kyler was like so my favorite in the first season that I'm like, oh, when they bring him back, they better make like give him something really good, and then he kind of disappeared in season two, and like finally brought him back, and um, this season, yeah, he's just kind of like a generic dick, just like a, some of the like any other kid so you know he just happens to be the asian like but he there's looks another like he's having so much fun which he, he is such a yeah. good like yeah. bro douche in in that first season it's so funny like the just like the little mannerisms and oh like i loved the, it like oh so good yeah and for those of us who grew up in like the san Gabriel valley we all know a bro douche, douche asian bros, guy yeah like yeah oh yeah i i really loved it because also he was like the hot one you know in season one uh that she wanted to date and so it was like holding him up as this like you know kind of like the johnny of uh of season one but then they kind of just lost him um i'm glad he's back i still think he's the most interesting of the kids like except for maybe miguel um but like if they built up his character a little bit more i'd be happy right now he and there's one other asian that they added nathaniel oh um who is an, a part of another dojo. Um, they're kind of like the rest of the kids in that they don't really get a lot of character development. Um, so, yeah, which is a waste because like Joe Sale yeah. could probably act circles around all the other kids yeah. in that show. Yeah, he probably also knows martial arts. I wonder how <laughs> old the kids actually are because I know Joe's like not actually a teenager. So yeah. I'm just kind of like, oh, but you know, baby face so. Asian don't raisin. Asian don't raisin. Yeah. Ralph Macchio don't raisin, though. He still He's looks like Ralph good. Macchio. I was impressed. I when mean, I you see that until, yeah. they sh- until you see like the flashback scenes of him as like a lanky dude well, back in Karate Kid Part back, 2. But back then, he was also playing way younger and he was probably older. Like, he wasn't mm. playing a high school. I mean, he wasn't a high school age kid when he was playing high school. So, um, yeah. there is one trope that I find very annoying. Can we Can we talk about this? 
Um, the wives. Oh, yes. Very <laughs> underdeveloped. All the and also just I had I did some googling. The woman, the actress who plays Daniel's wife, um, is thirty nine in real life. Maybe a little older. I like she's probably like foolish some age, but like in her like forties, and like in real life, they're supposed to be canonically fifty two, but around there. But in real life, like again, Ralph Macchio was older when he played Daniel. And the first Karate Kid is like in his 60s. And I was like, that's a, between like a 5, 15, 10 year age gap. And then if you think about Johnny, he's also canonically 52. And then uh, Miguel's mom is canonically 35. Mm-hmm. I was like, why? That's like, come on. Like, let's get that's one 80s trope we don't need. Like the hot, much younger wife. But that's like not <laughs> talked about or commented about. Yeah, come on, dudes. I mean, first of all, the wives aren't really given anything to do. No, they not are anything to do except to be like supportive and like, yeah, plot. Let's I'm going to say something to move the plot along. Yeah, absolutely. Like the whole stupid like I hit John Kreese thing. I didn't want to hear that one more time because it was just dumb. Um I do got to say, even though she is also used as a sort of a magical character, as the, um, we're spoiling everything, is the cameo appearance of Elizabeth Shue, who is their age, um, canonically, and in real life is 57, and looks amazing. So, um, but again, she was literally brought in to give Johnny and... Daniel some sort of like advice and get them back together as friends and then she went her merry way so she she was not there for any character development except for theirs how would you feel if your high school ex-boyfriend you found all reconnected on Facebook realized had some still had some weird flame for you and then was also actively fighting against your other high school ex-boyfriend in some weird way that's about you but not about you i mean i might maybe i would be like her and just be like this is very fun meeting you guys and i'm i'm out of here because you guys I have a hot oncologist husband who looks european and looks like we have (laughs) awesome swedish ski vacations yeah i would not want to get near those guys as far as like be in their lives you're like you guys are still in rosita Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's the feeling i got when like Daniel was like he was flirting with Tamla Tamita, right? Like they were definitely kinda, flirting. Kind of. They were just more. They were. I would prefer just them to be sort of nostalgic for their romance, but not actually trying to get back into it because he is married. Um. So and she's too hot for him. <laughs> way too hot and way so too hot. and way too so like worldly and artistic mature. and beautiful yeah. and like. <laughs> I oh. mean, oh, Daniel wishes, please. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I also like my the other thing I kind of hate when it comes to fighting movies is they always have to have the girl fight the girl. And so of all the people in all the dojos, there's one girl in one dojo and one girl in the other and they have to fight each other. Um, Although I do have to say Peyton List, who plays the evil Cobra Kai girl, um, she's from like Disney and Nickelodeon type shows. Um, She... She probably gets maybe the most development of all the young, well, of the young women. Um, and the only thing I got to say, though, is like they are usually fighting, especially from last season. It was over a guy. And I think that still carries over because they're both interested in the same two guys. Um, <sighs> so it's just very annoying. Also, having attended martial arts classes myself, I know there's more than just me. Uh, representing for the girls so I, I'm, I'm kind of just like everything that you can possibly think of that would have been okay in the 80s are still kind of going on now in the show and that's the part where I'm just like you just really need to get you know with the program I like for example I wonder if the criticism from the first two seasons is why they went to Okinawa this season I mean not just because Karate Kid 2 happened um, and decided to have a Vietnam storyline neither of which you know fulfilled any you know oh, oh you mean okinawa georgia yes <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i mean i was like 
I was like, ooh, have fun. Um, I was like, y'all were y'all were really pulling for those background extras, weren't you? Well, I wonder, I'm kind of wondering where the line was because when they announced season three that they were going to Okinawa, it was still with YouTube. It wasn't with Netflix yet. So I was like, did they not get that Netflix money to go to Japan? Um, although I think they might have visited uh, Okinawa for like one day for shooting. Maybe it was from scenery or something like that. Um, maybe for the chosen stuff and then um but yeah because i was like trying to angle my way into a set visit (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so but now i'm wondering like since season four is definitely happening through netflix what like what's that budget going to be like but it also i don't think they're going to do any more like flying around you know internationally so what what configuration of gang karate gang war can we have next i mean they're bringing back the tournament so they're going to do that. But of course, they're going to have to fight outside the tournament, too, because the tournament's only like, you know, near the end of the season. So I don't know. I mean, if they actually like investigated the valley more, I would like to see <laughs> some good uh, Atlanta slash San Fernando Valley um, uh, fighting going on. I-, I loved how, you know, they called out like meet me at this park. And I was like, oh, that's near me. Um <laughs> It's like I could give some 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 San Fernando Valley landmarks that they could go to. Ooh, should we go gather there and start a karate gang war? <laughs> yes. When this is over, when it's safe, let's go start a gang war when it's safe. Ego Fang. Yeah, Cobra Kai season three playing now. Um, check it out. I mean, it's 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 still fun. It's still yeah, fun. it's fun. <laughs> um, as long as you can, you know. Take seriously the fact that there are karate gangs that these kids <laughs> terrorizing <laughs> the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> Chopping um, it up everywhere. Ugh. Yeah. Kicking. Curious to see where this series goes in the next season. But yeah, if you're looking for something to watch on Netflix and you're done with Bridgerton, check out <laughs> Cobra Kai. <laughs> you know what, though? I mean, we laugh, but at the same time, number one right now on Netflix is Cobra Kai, and number two is Bridgerton. Is Bridgerton. So. Yes. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. I'm not going to yuck your yum. Just, you know, be aware of. It is. It, it should not be taken as like a a manual to how to karate. <laughs> and and and, I mean, I think we're meant to be critical of this because we have to look at it through you know sort of representation terms. But I did recommend the series to my mom because she told me I watched the first two Karate Kid movies again. So I'm like, well, if you like that, please watch this series. So you know, but I also know that she doesn't look at things as critically as I do. So I had no problem telling her she would rather see violence than sex. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cobra Kai and um, Bridgerton has those two in spades. <laughs> Waiting for the crossover. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, Han and Jess, thank you for joining me in discussing Cobra Kai season three. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at JessJewTweets. And I am also on Twitter at Hanonymous. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yu. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our past episodes by going to the website goodpop.club. Uh, once again, thank you to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts that we're a proud member of. Check out our fellow uh, Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, uh, that's the first episode of the new year in the books. Han, Jess, once again, happy 2021. And um, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Stay safe. Hey, Brian. Did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada's a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 